0: Welcome to Talk Dizzy to Me, the show that brings you a comprehensive look into the complex
1: field of dizziness. Now here are your hosts, vestibular physical therapist, Dr. Abby Ross and Dr. Danielle Tate. Hi everyone, welcome back to Talk Dizzy to Me, I'm your host, Dr. Abby Ross, vestibular physical therapist and neuroclinical specialist, joined always by Dr. Danny Tate, also a vestibular physical therapist. And today we're so pleased to have a guest who is so knowledgeable and such a great resource for anyone dealing with vestibular migraine and honestly just vestibular dysfunction in general. So thank you, Alicia Wool, the dizzy cook, for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: We
2: also need to mention that Alicia is a uh, OWL award winner from Vita, the one who listens because of this amazing network that you've set up um, as an advocate for other people going through vestibular migraine, like what you've been experiencing. So welcome.
0: (laughs) <laughs> thank you so much. That was very exciting this year.
2: <laughs> um, and of course, your work that you put into our patient advocate um, uh, conference week with VIDA, with the Vestibular Disorders Association, you were behind the scenes, and I mean, just really rocking it out all week, helping us out, making sure people got information and resources sent to them. Um, so that was huge, and a panelist on one of our days as well. So thank you for that. Um, First, I wanna give people a little bit of a background on you and your journey. So would you mind just kind of filling us in on what you've been going through, where you started and where you are now?
0: Yes, so basically over four years ago, I started experiencing symptoms and I'm sure we'll get into more details later, but I started experiencing uh, sort of unexplained dizziness to kind of encompass a lot of different specific symptoms. Um, And I was having a really difficult time getting diagnosed. No one really could tell me what was wrong with me. Um, There was a lot of inaccurate diagnosis that was kind of thrown my way. So in all of that, I was eventually diagnosed with vestibular migraine and I actually lost my job to it. I was, I had a career in watch design for a pretty big watch company and I couldn't, do what I used to do because of all my limitations with the dizziness, the vertigo, and everything that a vestibular disorder encompasses. So I ended up having to leave my job. They weren't very accommodating to me, and I had to leave my job, and I was kind of in this area of what do I do next with my life as a career-motivated person who now has to deal with a new chronic illness. So I kind of, I started seeing a therapist. I started really working on what was next with my life and turning to the things that made me happy. And that's kind of where I was able to combine cooking with um, all my research of my vestibular disorder. I mean, at the time, four years ago, not very many people were talking about vestibular migraine. Now it's we're talking about it today, which is really exciting. Um, But Vita was my only resource really back then. And so I was kind of looking for something that, you know, where I could hear another patient's experience. And if this did ever get better, would I always feel this way? And combine that with um, the challenges I found from trying to follow a new migraine diet and my love for cooking. And it kind of mishmashed into this website called The Dizzy Cook. I kept thinking, oh gosh, if I just had a fun food blog, like I love to read that fit me as a person. <laughs> and it turned out that a lot of other people felt that way too. So it's kind of grown and eventually went into a cookbook. So I released a cookbook this year um, and you know, do lots of advocacy with Vestibular Disorder Association. So that's kind of the shortened version of my story. <laughs> I have to say, I'm grateful for your
2: cookbook. Um, I'm not a significant or severe migraine sufferer, but I do suffer from them. And I know food is a big trigger for me. So when you came out with your cookbook, I had it pre-ordered ready to go. I was so excited. <laughs> it's been a huge help, especially replacing some of the things that I missed, like having cheese for appetizers and things like yeah. that. So your cheese board recommendations and your bruschetta recipe was like amazing. It was a lifesaver. For <laughs>
0: yeah. It's- it's really I I have a very I have kind of a gift with seeing food a little bit differently and making it fun despite restrictions and so I really leaned into that creativity that I have with that and it's worked out really well for me I mean I not run out of recipes in three years so I'm I, I think we're still good on it. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the migraine diet is probably one of the more
2: depressing things that I have to talk to patients about because they look at the list and immediately panic until I explain to them that, you know, not necessarily cutting out all of this is, is needed, but you have to find what your trigger is and then how to uh, navigate a new life around those restrictions. Right. Um, But it was extremely helpful to have something that you've been putting out there and your resources that you put out there. I mean, even just talking about Dr. Bay and supporting his work and his book has been huge for a lot of people, especially in this time during COVID. Because I know now with telehealth, he's been able to help a lot more people that don't have access to clinicians who are familiar with vestibular migraine um, to get help. So you are a huge resource in that aspect, as well as the different things like uh, the wine wands and the different glasses <laughs> that you can use. Um, there are a ton of things that you have created on this platform that helps so many people that I actually refer a lot of my patients to your website, your cookbook, your resources, because vestibular migraine is very common, popular, like you were saying before. It's only rising mm-hmm. in, in um, acknowledgment. And having something like what you created is just so useful as a person who needs to guide people to where they can find the right and proper information to help.
0: Yeah, I'm really happy to hear that because that's where I, I kind of, I don't have the qualifications that you guys have or that Dr. Bay has, but connecting people like you or Dr. Bay to patients is where I kind of fit in as that middleman and, and help explain things on a level that I think patients understand a little bit better cuz you know he can get kind of technical he's he's great at speaking but you know it's it's sometimes hard to convey these medical terms on a patient level especially for people who are dealing with a lot of brain fog and stuff like that so I like to kind of mesh the two together and and bring resources like you guys to the you know, patients.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you touched on something that I think so many people with migraine in general can relate to, and that is going through provider after provider after provider, misdiagnosis, <laughs> yeah. and then finally coming up to a diagnosis that makes sense and actually is your diagnosis, right? I yes. also <laughs> have referred so many people to not only your page, but also Dr. Bay when I became familiar with his work. And it has made just huge differences. But can you tell us a little bit more about your journey through the healthcare system and eventually landing Dr. Bay? But before that, what was it like? I mean, who were you seeing? Who did you find most helpful?
0: Yeah, uh, basically, I started with my general practitioner. And I just went in there and I told her, look, I'm getting these waves of dizziness, lightheadedness. I just don't feel right. I feel like the ground is a little unstable um, or like I'm walking on marshmallows. And she thought maybe I just had a cold or something. So they kept prescribing me steroids. And after my second course, I think I was like, these just aren't working. I feel like I'm getting worse. Um, There was one point that I was in my car and I'll never forget it was driving a bunch of coworkers to lunch. And I was in my car and I was in park, but I felt like I was moving forward. And I slammed on my brakes and everyone kind of looked at me really weird. And I said, was I rolling forward? And they're like, no, we've been parked here. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is not normal for my head. (laughs) Like there's something really wrong. Um, so that's when I kind of talked to my general practitioner and she was like, I don't know, maybe it's something with your inner ear, go see an ENT. So I set up an appointment with an ENT, um, it was actually supposed to be one of the best in Dallas and he didn't really, he couldn't really find anything as far as like hearing loss, um, or BPPV. So he referred me to a vestibular therapy clinic just to start vestibular therapy for the dizziness that no one could really explain. And once I got there, their opinion was that I might have had vestibular neuritis um, based on some of the tests they had run. They had found a weakness in my inner ear, one of my inner ears. So we started on vestibular therapy there but uh, at the same time, the ENT was prescribing me a really, really high dose of steroids. So I felt like I was getting better and improving and my balance tests at the vestibular therapist were also improving. And then once I quit those that high dose of steroids, I plummeted and went back to just being constantly dizzy, um, like that feeling of walking in a bounce house or, or marshmallows, those were biggest ones. I would have really, I started having really intense vertigo episodes. And the first time that happened, I said to my husband, I was like, we have to go to the ER. This is not normal. And so we went to the ER and uh, after several tests and MRI and everything, they diagnosed me with vertigo and sent me home with meclizine. And now we know vertigo is a a (laughs) symptom, it's Mm -hmm. not a diagnosis, but you know, that's something we're working especially with Vita on to change. Um, But that happened to me at least two or three times. And every time they were like, Oh, you're just anxious, you're just stressed out. I saw some of the best I think two or three different neurologists that I was referred to from the ER and none of them ever mentioned migraine to me because I wasn't getting head pain. I was just having these l- light sensitivity, um, the weird senses of motion. Sometimes I would feel disassociated symptoms where I felt really detached from myself or almost like I was floating a little bit. Um, and these just progressively kept getting worse. And so probably about two months into this being bounced around from ENTs to neurologists to this vestibular therapy clinic, um, I, was, I was on the verge of losing my job. I was having trouble getting my FMLA approved because it, I didn't have a diagnosis that anyone could agree on. Some people were telling me It could be early onset MS. Some people were saying it could be uh, vestibular neuritis. It could be, um, what else did I get? Oh, depression, anxiety, because I'm like, I feel this way. Like, I feel I have anxiety because I feel like I can't get on solid ground. Like, who else? That would make anyone else insane. I mean, so trying to express that to doctors and get them to take you seriously. And I started bringing my husband into appointments with me. And it was really sad because some of the physicians would only talk to him mm-hmm. and not speak to me. And I I also found that half the time, they would only take me seriously if he was in appointments with me. Otherwise, they would brush me off. And so um, I actually pleaded on Facebook to my Facebook friends. I said, look, I'm about to lose my job. I cannot live my life this way. And I've seen seven different doctors. No one can figure it out. I keep getting worse. Can anyone help me? Has anyone ever experienced this before? And so I ended up having, um, I got a recommendation for Dr. Bay from the ENT here. They're like, look, he's the only guy that deals with unexplained dizziness. But he had like a seven or eight month wait list. (laughs) So I was like, well, I'll definitely lose my job by then. Um, So I I had a friend that knew a doctor at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona, and the vestibular therapist that I was seeing in Dallas said, look, we think you might have a paralym fistula. Um, You should drive (laughs) instead of flying. So we drove 16 hours, which is super fun for a vestibular patient, let me tell you. <laughs> but I was desperate. I was yeah. so desperate. So we went through two days of testing. And I, I will say that the Mayo Clinic had the best um, vestibular testing. They, uh, I saw a doctor for each portion of it. So they did a hearing test. We did a VNG and ENG um, we ran through everything and they couldn't find that vestibular weakness that the other clinic had found. So they thought, well, it could have been an error or maybe at one point you had vestibular neuritis or a weakness and it healed with all the steroids you were on. But the doctor came in and he was like, you have vestibular migraine. And I said, no, I don't like migraines. Like do, who?" no, there's no way. I don't get head pain. I always associated migraines with headaches. And that now we know and now I definitely as an advocate know that that's not true at all. There's several different types of migraine. But it was hard for me to wrap my head around that I was experiencing migraine attacks and that they were chronic at that point where they were just almost constantly happening. So I had a constant state of dizziness, but I would have spikes in my attacks. So, the the doctor who diagnosed me was an antini. He's like, "Look, I can't prescribe you. You know, you really need to see a neurologist." And miraculously, at that time, I got a call from Dr. Bay's office that they could get me in um, on a cancellation. I bugged them constantly, <laughs> so they were able to squeeze me in. And I saw Dr. Bay probably two or three weeks later. And that's when he ran his own diagnostic tests and agreed, okay, he came to his own conclusion that this was vestibular migraine. So I had two physicians that I really trusted in that were saying, okay, this is your diagnosis. No, you don't have all these other things. This is what our plan needs to be. So Dr. Bay was actually the first, doctor that sat with me probably over, I think our appointment was like an hour, hour and a half, um, which is what makes him such an amazing doctor. He listens to every specific symptom you have. He asks you about your childhood. Did you have car sickness in the past, which can kind of indicate um, Mm -hmm. someone who's more prone to vestibular migraine as well. Little things like that, that they're sort of learning as part of a diagnosis And uh, we were able to formulate a plan together. I told him like, look, you know, I'm 30 years old. We were planning on having a family soon before all this. What can I take? What treatments can I do that are easy to either wean off of or that I could continue through pregnancy? So we really became partners on my treatment plan. And I let him know what was working, what wasn't. He always has new ideas on what's coming out. Like at the time they were doing the studies with Cephali, which is like very common now, but back Mm -hmm. then it was a very new thing. Um, And he would bring these up in each appointment as we worked together. And I think that's where my success came from was having a partnership with a doctor who listened to me and who wanted me to be happy with my treatment plan, um, but also pushed me to try new things. So that's that,
2: a long story. No, that so I was just about to say, like, in that story, there is so much to take away yeah. from that. And there's so much gold in everything that you just said, first of all, the amount of persistence required and the importance on being your own advocates. You know, if you didn't push and if you just kind of let things go, who knows where you'd be now, you would definitely not be in the place where you have controlled symptoms. So You know, that makes me um, empathize and feel so terrible for the people that don't necessarily have the means or the right. resources or the time to put into finding out what their diagnosis is or finding the right help. I mean, who in their right mind, except for somebody who's at the end of the rope, will drive 16 hours to Arizona
1: <laughs> because
2: yeah. yet another that possible diagnosis that was given could be a possibility of being an issue when flying. You know, yeah. it's it's another point too, where people get so desperate, they try anything. And right. that's where I get, I get nervous where people try anything they find on the internet, where it comes down to untested, unregulated supplements or different yeah. types of treatments. I have a person that came in that said his buddy got helped by this by holding a vibrating toy to his head for 30 <laughs> minutes a day. Like, so, you know, it's, It's incredible (laughs) to have to explain to patients that you need to find good resources that are backed by the right people, finding the right people, even being in Dallas in a big city, it took a lot of effort and time to find the right clinicians who want to deal with this, because so many physicians want nothing to do with migraine or dizziness in general, whether if you, you know, there is head pain or no head pain. And the fact that you brought up, it took a long time for you to wrap your head around the idea of this being migraine. Abby and I t- just talked about this on the last episode that we usually take a visit or two or three to convince people that migraine is a possibility because they think, no, yeah. I never had the pain. So I couldn't possibly have this as a diagnosis. There's no way you're crazy. Um, so, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of that I think is going to resonate with a lot of people. And that's a reason why you have such a amass a great following because people identify with your journey because so many people go through the same thing, except not all of them have the outcome that you have. So I, yeah. you know, we're so grateful to have you on here today to hopefully at least spread a little bit more of that awareness to get people on the right track and let them know that there is hope because you are doing a lot better these days. Am I correct?
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel a hundred percent like now I have 0 dizziness today. That's so you know, the idea that I could come this far, and it did take a while. But the idea that I could come this far and live dizzy free again, it blows my mind. Because uh, when you're in it 24 seven, you you, it just feels like it's never going to end. And the changes are so small. They don't happen overnight. And you just can get kind of down on yourself and start thinking, Oh, my gosh, this is this is how I'm going to have to live the rest of my life. And that's, that's not always the case and I'll never forget, and I talk about this in almost every presentation I do, I'll never forget sitting down with Dr. Bay, and I just asked him like, is this gonna be the rest of my life or will I, will I feel normal again? And he goes, oh my gosh, almost all of my patients recover in some way. Some of them I don't see anymore, they've completely gone into remission others manage just fine with the treatments we have. And so I'll only see them when they want to change something up. Um, but he said the majority of his patients get better and move on with their lives. And that gave me so much hope. So I'm glad I can do that for other people now too.
1: (laughs) Yes. And you, you touched on another golden nugget in your, your speech there. And that was that you know, once you found the provider that actually listened to you and asked questions pertinent to vestibular migraine. So to you, he was just getting to know you, right? Asking you questions to him. He was asking very targeted questions because we know what to look for when it comes to vestibular migraine now. And I actually, you just reminded me of a phone call I had with a patient yesterday. She called me desperate. I spent 40 minutes Unbuild time with this woman on the phone. And she said, no one believes me. I feel like I'm walking on clouds. I'm fine when I drive. Then when I stop, I still feel like I'm moving. I mean, literally what you just said, she had sickness as a child, all her story kind of lines up to more of a vestibular migraine type of history. And I wanted to note, too, that sometimes even just in the story that the patient tells, and this is with so many vestibular diagnoses, but just in the story that the patient tells, as a clinician, you can really start to figure out what's the cause. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't need all the, the tests testing. Can, and sometimes the testing can be completely normal, but there's still something wrong. Right. So the story is so important. And I love that you labeled your your experiences with Dr. Bay as a partnership, because that's truly what it should be. He should be listening mm-hmm. to you. You should be giving him feedback constantly and then adjusting your plan, which I'm sure over the, over the course of time, you've had to make some adjustments to find, as Danny called it, the cocktail yeah. that's for you. Yeah,
0: definitely. Because I wish one path worked for everyone, but it, it just doesn't. And if it did, mm-hmm. you know, people would, be 100% just from my website, because I tell them what I'm doing, but (laughs) it doesn't always work for everyone, you know, and, and, and so it's trying to figure that out is one of the hardest parts. And so that is, I think, where the partnership comes in handy, too, is you also have to trust your doctor, because some some of these treatments can be a little scary to try. Uh, Mm -hmm. Especially I try to tell people not to read side effects on medications. Mm -hmm. I there, treatments I was on that if I would have done more research like I know now I probably (laughs) would have said no to and but but having a doctor that I trusted that I could you know work on him with that plan it really does go both ways because you do have to put that trust into them and understand they want the best for you too and so trying some of these things with them kind of holding your hand is is important. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: um, so have you, what are your personal triggers? What are some things that you have found through all of this journey of um, have been triggering for you?
0: So uh, big triggers for me initially were light and sound. Um, I had a really hard time in restaurants, especially if doors were opening and closing or candles were flickering. If a lot of people were talking like background noise, I had a hard time listening to the person talking to me. I would just hear the background noise. So it was hard to distinguish. Um, sleep is still a big trigger for me if I don't get adequate sleep in a sleep schedule where I'm going to bed roughly about the same time and waking up at the same time. In the beginning of my vestibular journey, I was so exhausted from just overload of my eyes working so hard to compensate for what my brain was doing, that I wanted to take a lot of naps. And I think that was almost worse for me because it was messing up my sleep schedule. So once I tried to get that more under control, it was better for me in the long run. Um, And even to this day, like, I'll notice I'll wake up a little foggy if I don't get my full amount of sleep or don't sleep well. Um, traveling is still can still kind of throw me off here and there. I have to be careful with that. And then food, I discovered a few food triggers. So um, mine are kind of odd. They were yogurt and nuts which you don't always hear about, you always hear, Oh, they're so healthy to eat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, for a long time, I thought, Oh, whole 30 paleo, those diets are so healthy. That's what I need to be doing to feel better. And so I was eating all of these nuts and it turns out it was once I eliminated everything, I realized it was one of my bigger triggers. Mm -hmm. So after getting rid of those and then caffeine was, big one for me to get rid of so I've had to adjust things like that and I still stay away but I've also added in a lot of foods from the elimination diet that are fine now or that now that my brain has calmed down a little bit more they don't bother me as much so I would say those are my biggest ones and hydration if I can keep up with my hydration you know Um, heat, it gets really hot in Texas. (laughs) So if I'm out in the sun and the heat, that'll kind of bring things on for me. Um, But if I can manage that kind of stuff, I'm better at managing the things that I can't control, like storms or weather shifts, those can kind of bring things up for me. But if I can control the triggers that um, I, I actually have control over, then I and doing better at the things that you don't have control over like stress or, or weather changes. Mm-hmm. So lots that's of different a, triggers there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's but a good cool point. point. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: was gonna say those are, that's a good point though. You bring a lot of things in that you don't necessarily have to take a medication for, in order to feel better. You can just work on your symptoms by making sure you get enough sleep, that you're drinking enough water and eating the right foods. Now, that's a really great foundation to help reduce your symptoms. And then from there, finding the next step if you need one with your physician on medications and whatnot to help that even further is huge. But I mean, you can do a lot yourself. You are not limited to having to take a medication for the rest of your life. You know what you need in order to feel decently normal.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, you know, just once you get kind of the hang of it, it's easier to navigate. Like, I will know if I'm traveling for a long day, or going on an international flight, I'll need some medication to help me out with that. So that's when I'll turn to medication to, you know, kind of get me over that hump, because I know my trigger load will be way too full. And it'll bring on an attack for me. So That'll kind of increase that load for me, so I can fit more triggers into it. <laughs> but even you know, packing packing my own food instead of eating airport food, making sure I bring a massive water bottle with me, stuff like that can help um, keep my triggers lower when I travel too. And you know, combining that with the medication, it, it just really does help. So making those little adjustments when you know you have something maybe a stressful event, maybe uh, you're driving somewhere, maybe you you have a big presentation at work and you know you're going to be on the computer all day, doing stuff like that can kind of help manage it.
1: Yeah. I want to ask you a little more specifically about food because food is, I think, definitely a huge trigger for most people in this boat. And it can be challenging figuring out what food works, what food doesn't work. So how did you go about that? Did you keep a log? Did you just realize I'm having yogurt? And when I have yogurt, I feel terrible. How did you come to the conclusion yogurt and nuts?
0: So I I originally tried, like I said, I was originally just trying to eat really healthy. um, And all the trendy diets out there are like Whole30 and Paleo. So I was trying that, and it just wasn't working out for me. Um, I had doctors suggest that I go gluten and dairy-free. That wasn't really making a difference for me either. Um, so I started doing a little more research on migraine diet specifically and what um, if there was something out there just for migraine. And that's where I came across the Heal Your Headache book. It's by Dr. David Buchholz From um, He used to work at Johns Hopkins. And it's a diet that Johns Hopkins also endorses um, for their patients in their migraine clinic. So out of all the diets that I found, this one seemed to be the most um, backed by physicians. And there, it, there is some controversy over any type of migraine diet. People have different p- opinions on it. And that's just because I think everyone's so different and it's really hard to get scientific research to back any diet, period. Um, but I did like that this one was endorsed by a clinic that you know has a lot of um, doctors that are well known in the migraine community. So it made sense to me um, as far as limiting foods that had tyramine in it, which kind of builds up it over time with bacteria um or in foods that are aged. So a lot of times we'll hear, you know, red wine is a big trigger. Chocolate is a big trigger. Aged cheese and meats. That's kind of where that comes into play as well as histamine. Um, sulfites you hear a lot. The people that, you know, say that red wine triggers them. It's sulfites, that kind of thing. Which actually it can be a lot more than that, but That's for another episode, I think. (laughs) Um, So there's lots of little things that can go into it. So I like that the heal your headache diet, just kind of put those all into one space. And so you were eliminating foods, high in in tyramine, histamine, um, foods with a lot of additives, you had to get rid of MSG. So it was really an overhaul of my diet. And this It has you eliminate everything for, it doesn't give you a specific timeline, but most people say between three and four months, you can start to feel a difference. Um, His idea is that you just eliminate things till you start to feel better and give your opportunity or your brain an opportunity to calm down a little bit and not have so many, um, be so excited all the time. Like, and I kind of talk about it like an electrical storm There's just, you have to give it time to sort of calm down and relax so it can start to heal itself a little bit. And so by eliminating these things, you're just kind of giving it that chance to calm down. And once you start reintroducing foods again, once you're feeling better and it has calmed down, you can notice attacks a little bit more. So for instance, I used to eat, um, I used to have Nut milk in my coffee every day. I used to eat yogurt for breakfast every day with, you know, a nut granola on it. And so I was dizzy every day. So I couldn't really tell that any of that was triggering me because I felt badly all the time. Once I started eliminating everything and adding in these medications and supplements, my brain started to calm down more with time. And so I could really notice a difference when I would eat something that would trigger me. So, when I, my, the first time I had yogurt in two months off of it, I I kind of thought the diet was silly because I was still dizzy every day for like two months. I'm like, what is this doing besides making my life really hard? And I remember I tried yogurt one night um, thinking, oh gosh, I used to eat this every day. I didn't notice the difference and I had a really bad vertigo attack probably an hour after eating it and so I thought okay that that could just be a coincidence or it could be connected <laughs> so it's you know I haven't had a vertigo attack like that in months and and that's another point too is I think sometimes as patients we don't see our progress very clearly because for us it's very black and white like I'm either dizzy or I'm not but I wasn't taking into account that I hadn't had a vertigo attack in probably you know, four or five months, which is huge. I mean, compared to what I was experiencing before where it would be every other week. So I wasn't seeing that as progress. I was just seeing myself as dizzy every day. And that for me, um, looking back, I wish I would have tracked those changes a little bit more and saw some of that small progress and appreciated it because it, it is progress. It's just not as obvious as we want it to be. <laughs> um, but that's when I kind of thought, okay, well, this this might actually be working. There might be something to this. And so I stuck with the diet longer. So I was probably on it for about six six or seven months before I felt confident in reintroducing foods again. And I was bringing in things one by one, and I could really tell a difference. Whenever um, I would have nut milk, I would feel that dizziness rise, you know, within 30 minutes or so. And so I knew, okay, this this tends to bother me more. Some things were more extreme, like walnuts give me vertigo attacks. So I have different, um, different foods would raise my symptoms differently. So some, appear to be more of more extreme triggers than others. Um, Like in the past, avocado would give me low level dizziness, and now I can eat it just fine. So it's really something you have to um, keep track of closely, and also be committed to for a while. Um, Sometimes I get readers who feel better within two weeks, and they say this is amazing. And and that's great. It took a lot longer for me. Uh, I think a lot of people don't like to stick with it for as long as it takes to see those results. Um, so it's just it's just interesting to see how how different we all are in our approach to it. But that was my experience. Yeah, I
2: find that it, you. I find it really interesting when you bring up the, the weird things that kind of popped yeah. up. Um, I had a patient who we diagnosed and I was telling her, um, you know, I think this is what you have. And she's like, there's no way I don't have any migraines. So I had her keep mm-hmm. a log and she's like, no, i eat really, really healthy. I don't understand why I need to do this. So I printed her out the symptom log from Vita, their okay. website on some of their resources. And I had to write down just everything she ate that day and then just fill in your symptoms that you have that day. And she brought it back a week later. She goes, Oh, like, I guess I can see this now. So every time yeah. she ate dairy or gluten, it would trigger her symptoms. She goes, Well, I guess we figured this out. Uh, <laughs> I had another patient who we worked with for a long time, and he cut out everything. And then this was when, um, around the time they just started figuring out, out avocados could be a okay. trigger. So out of like offhandedly, I was like, Oh, you're going to be one of the weirdos that is affected by avocados. And he stopped <laughs> and he goes, I have avocado toast every morning. <laughs> as soon as we cut that out, he was fine and he could go back to drinking his red wine and certain stuff. It was just the avocados causing his yeah.
0: issues. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting crazy. you bring that up. Yeah, it's,
2: it's absolutely
0: <laughs> I think and I told Dr. Bay one time, I was like, oh, yeah, yogurt is one of my big triggers. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I was like, but it makes mm-hmm. sense with the fermentation, you know? <laughs> yeah, it makes, it makes
2: yeah. a lot of sense when you really, like, have to break it down yeah. and look at it. And, uh, you know, it's it's also, I love that you really dedicated the time and spent that long on elimination <laughs> diet. I am not entirely sure I would have been that strong, <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, but it's amazing yeah. that, like, you are a good case to show people, like, if you just stick to it, it can work. Um, it just does take a little yeah. bit of work on your part. There is no magic bullet, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, Again, and noticing those small changes too. Like yes. I think I, I would might have given up on it if I didn't have teeny tiny little changes along the way. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad I stuck
1: with it. Again, it's that persistence, especially in this diagnosis. Yeah. It's not an overnight change that you're going to see. It really does take time and effort. And I think one of the most important things in this realm is education. You not only yeah. learn. Health, but learning from a clinician what to look for what to expect what to try what to do next you know along in your journey I wanted to ask you aside from diet what other lifestyle modifications whether they're glasses or different apps that you use to dim screens maybe sunglasses yeah app, what other lifestyle modifications have you found to be helpful
0: so a lot of lifestyle modifications. I mean, I already touched on the sleep schedule. Um, for me, I added in key supplements that I worked with Dr. Bayon, which I agree with you guys. Um, you know, make sure you're working with your doctor because even the ones that are commonly recommended like magnesium, you know, it's always good to get that approval from your physician first. And especially how much to take because, you know, while I was able to take a very large amount, and that was okay for me. Yeah, that might not be okay for someone else. Um, You know, with light sensitivity, I do keep my screen dimmed. And then also I have um, what's called migraine. I use different migraine glasses. These are my (laughs) migraine shields. (laughs) I'm doing okay today with the screen as it is, but normally I'll wear these uh, because I'm working on the computer so much with the Dizzy Cook. And I can start to feel my eyes get, really tired if I'm not wearing them or get kind of off. Um, And so those have really helped me. I had to wear them all the time in the beginning. And I've tried different types. Um, You know, FL41 lenses, I think, are usually recommended. Uh, There are several different brands out there. Uh, What I just tell people is to check the nanometers on them, because you want to make sure they're blocking a certain amount of blue light. And if you just order cheap ones from Amazon, they're not yeah, they block some blue light, but it might not be the kind that is really going to help you. So um, you just kind of want to do your research as far as migraine glasses go. Uh, And different ones do different things. So I have you know some that I take to the grocery store with me that are darker and so they're better in those fluorescent lights versus the ones that I use on the computer which are a little lighter so I can still see what I'm editing with photos and stuff like that oh no we <laughs> that's okay. I think she'll be back okay. <laughs> we'll get her back um, up should I continue yeah keep going yep, and we'll okay. get her back
2: in here no problem Um,
0: What else? What else do I do? I do so many things. (laughs) Um, I guess grocery shopping. That's kind of a a hard one for people. And now we're so lucky to have um, delivery services. So if you are really triggered by walking through the grocery store, I mean, that was a big one for me. And here I am starting a food blog. (laughs) <laughs> so like <laughs> very counterintuitive to do that. But I used to go in a big hat and lean on my um, grocery shopping cart, which kind of kept me stable and then also use my migraine glasses. So and put in earplugs, just anything to kind of drown out that out, the outside noise of walking through something that can be so triggering with the lights and people and sounds.
2: Because you have to carry, you still so. have to carry on with your day. You still have to carry on with your yeah. life. You need food. You need to be out right. in the community at you know some point. You can't just stay in your house, even though COVID has readjusted that to maybe make it make it a little bit easier for people. Um, but yeah. yeah, you still have to function as a human being um, in order to carry on, and to do that, you have to mitigate your symptoms as the best that you can.
0: And that's Im- really important. I think that you kind of touched on is trying to keep your life as normal as possible. So seeing friends in a different way i just had to reevaluate how i got together with friends and family and a lot of times that meant having them over to my own house and cooking for them instead of going out to a restaurant because here i could control the scents i could control the lights i could control when everyone leaves i could control what we eat so yeah it's it's a little bit more pressure on you to entertain but Um, You know, most friends are happy with a simple pasta dish or something like that. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: that way you are able to still have fun in your life and enjoy being around other people. And keeping light and finding those little joys can make such a difference in your healing. Because if you start to focus on all the things that are going wrong, it gets to be overwhelming, and it kind of takes over your brain. Um, And this is something I really had to focus on in the beginning, which was huge for me was going to a therapist. Um, I, I, she kind of had me lay out what I enjoyed in life and make small goals. Um, And that was a big shift for me, because I'm a big goal thinker. And I like to over, you know, jump to that next step. And And be very, you know, someone very career oriented, I wanted to do something big all the time. But um, even just walking down the street and back is a huge accomplishment for a vestibular patient. And so that's how Mm -hmm. I had to shift my thinking was, oh, my gosh, I just walked five minutes. That's huge for me. Not I just crushed a 30 minute CrossFit (laughs) workout. (laughs)
2: Well, I think <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, you know, with it, you and you mentioned this in the beginning, but typically with this, we have a lot of increased anxiety and depression. You feel isolated because people don't yeah. understand. That you're scared that this is what's going to be, you know, the new normal for the rest of your life. Nobody believes you. Uh, some right. people think it's all in your head and it's crazy to the point where some people just start to believe it and say, maybe this is all in my head. And Mm -hmm. that is just gonna drive your symptoms up and it's gonna make you more symptomatic and it creates this vicious circle. So maintaining quality of life and doing the things that make you happy are really important for your healing. Because they're yeah. going to help reduce some of those symptoms, keep you happy, reduce your stress levels, reduce your anxiety. You know, talking to a therapist is it's so important, I think, in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. It gives you a third-party person to kind of give you a different perspective, um, as well as put some of your symptoms into, into light. I mean, when you experience your symptoms every day on a daily basis, it's hard for you to see the small changes, unless you're yeah. really trying. Them telling them to something to somebody else, how are you feeling? What's different? What's
0: new? Without kind of checking on that, it's really easy to lose sight of it. Yeah, and she had me write down two or three sentences. I mean, journaling seems so overwhelming to me. I don't know how people do it every day, but she was like, just write down two sentences of kind of what happened during your day, how you felt, anything that made you feel good, what made you feel bad, why you were triggered just something short and, you know, I still have that journal and I look back on it every day and I see, you know, when I had a stressful meeting at work and how I felt right after how that would bring on a vertigo attack and it it made that connection for me that my job was hindering my healing progress. And so that was a big (sighs) turning point in my life where I had to come to terms with, look, I don't know that I can continue on the path that I'm down, you know, and and heal the way I want to while maintaining this career. And it's a very harsh reality. And I'm glad I had people like Dr. Bay and my therapist to lean, to lean on to kind of help me say, okay, this is the best thing for you. And this is you know, this is what we think will help you get over that hump of healing. And it and it really was. So it it ended up being good for me. I know, not everyone can leave their jobs. um, But just shifting, um, finding something new, or coming to that moment of realization where you realize you're just maybe doing something that's not facilitating your healing, whether it's you know certain relationships that you might need to cut out certain people um certain things you're doing that just you might have to let go of and it's it's really hard it's it's the hardest thing I've ever done was turning in my resignation and it it ended up being a huge blessing for me now looking back but it, it I know the struggle so I just try to encourage people to kind of think those things through because they really
1: can't help with healing. Yeah. 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 Now, when you, when you look at the path that it, you've taken to healing and having good days now today, you're symptom free. You're able to join yeah. us without wearing your glasses. Yeah. A good day. Um, what advice do you have for people who ask, just like you asked Dr. Bay, is this the rest of my life? Well, I mean, mm-hmm. what does my future look like? Do you tell them you will have some bad days, but you'll have more good days than bad days when you have the appropriate plan in place? Or what What words of advice and encouragement do you have?
0: I just tell I tell people it gets better, especially if you're persistent. I mean, I think that's been the big theme of of the podcast here is is just never giving up on feeling better, even if you're at 90% and you're like, oh, but what if I could get to 95? You can, it's just doing small tweaks. Like, um, you know, a few other things that I've added in were um, like later on in my journey, you know, I was feeling, I was probably about 80% and I just kept thinking, oh, I know it could be better. And so going and having a conversation with Dr. Bay where I was like, I think I'm feeling confident to add in vestibular therapy because I'm having trouble with yoga where I'm bending over and it brings on dizziness. I'm having trouble with certain positions that are spiking my dizziness. And so we're certain places. And so that's kind of where we incorporated vestibular therapy was to help me with certain situations and kind of get me over that hump. Um, I actually took my first first trip as a vestibular disorder patient, which was like the worst idea ever, but I went to Las Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember my first trip was awful. (sighs) And I stayed the whole time in the room. And then the next time we went there, I I worked with my vestibular therapist and I told her, look, I had a terrible trip last time, but it's a trip my husband and I used to take. um, That meant a lot to us, you know, and it's a yearly trip we usually do. And I said, I really want to go. And so we worked on different therapies, different videos that could maybe help me walk through casinos and it really did make such a difference. And so sometimes those targeted treatments, you know, I would have a lot of neck stiffness and, mm-hmm. and pain kind of um, would come behind the back of my ears with attacks, um, mm-hmm. especially in the beginning. And so I worked with my massage therapist and I just kind of said, look, this is what I experience. What can we do to maybe target some of those areas? So I incorporated things like acupressure into my treatment plan. So it's just being a curious patient. And I I love that term, being a curious patient, always looking for, and of course, there's crazy people like we talked about or you end up with a banana peel on your head or so there's some that are just really out there oh yeah well
2: that's that's a good point with therapy though is you have to do therapy at the right time for the right right. reasons right when we're doing vestibular therapy and abby and i are working with migraine patients it's not because we are doing anything to address the migraine we're doing other things to address the symptoms that you're having related to vestibular dysfunction with migraine so you know a typical treatment that I would do with a migraine patient usually starts with a warm up on an arm bike, right? To get the muscles moving in the shoulders and neck, increase blood flow to the head. Then I'll have them go into some vestibular therapy, focusing on the things that bother them and trigger them, whether it's Mm -hmm. decreasing visual sensitivities or over dependence on the visual system to reweighting the different systems that we use for balance. And then typically ending the session on soft tissue massage and stretching specifically to the neck and suboccipitals because they are a big area where we hold a lot of tension, yeah. where we have a lot of pain and stiffness and dysfunction, specifically in migraine patients. So <laughs> it's finding the right course of treatment at the right time. Cause when you were super symptomatic and unstable with your symptoms, vestibular therapy probably was a terrible idea. Worse.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and that, you know, that was the big difference for me was I went to a different therapist. Um, who really taught me that, you know, you can easily overdo it. And if you overdo it, it's not helpful for you. So working with a qualified vestibular therapist is so important, because they can kind of see, you know, what level you're at that day and how much they can push you and you know, what will be beneficial for you. And so that's, I wish you guys were in Dallas. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> but I think when I first tried it, and it's sad to me when people try some of these treatments and they kind of write them off because it could just not be the right timing for you. And so when I first tried it, I was just too symptomatic to get the be- benefits from it. But once I started to heal a little bit more, was when it made a huge difference for me. So that sounds like a dream to end with <laughs> a, your therapy session with a light massage. Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> this kind yeah. of parallels what we spoke about earlier, that it truly is a partnership. And sometimes yeah. if you're, or if if we as vestibular therapists are the first clinician you're seeing to address vestibular migraine, or we suspect it's vestibular migraine through our history and initial exam, Um, sometimes the answer is that you educate through therapy and then you refer to pull in the other disciplines, get everything on track, and then you return to therapy when the timing is right. You also, you mentioned, you know, overdoing it. And I think so many therapists make that mistake because they don't listen to the patient or the patient isn't, um, isn't offering that information. Because they want to do as the therapist says, right? Yeah, but that's, that's a good point. So crucial because you you do need adjustments. Maybe we need to lessen the duration of this exercise or, or yeah. regress it in some way, shape or form. Do it less, mm-hmm. but start to introduce you to it so that we can build upon it. It's really. Well, even, important.
2: Yeah. even as a clinician, not being scared to regress for a day, you know, I tell my patients, even if you're having a terrible day, I want you to come in. And this is a good example with a patient the other day. She's been doing okay managing her symptoms, but she came in. I could just see her in the waiting room. It was going to be a terrible day. She's like, I feel the throbbing coming on. I know a migraine's coming on. So we literally spent the entire uh, session in a dark room with relaxing music, and we did soft tissue massage, and we worked on deep breathing. And by the time the 45 minutes was over, she got up. She goes, the throbbing's gone. I feel like I'm just on a threshold, but I'm not quite where I was. This was good. And as a clinician, you have to be okay with the fact that you're going to have good days and bad days with patients. And with the bad days, you still have to treat the symptoms. And it's not no pain, no gain with vestibular therapy. You have to listen to their symptoms and how they're feeling. You know, I follow the rule of five, where if patients start to report that their symptoms are exceeding what they would rate a five out of 10 during an exercise, we immediately stop. They sit down, they increase their somatosensory input, and we let their symptoms come back down to baseline before jumping back into anything, you
0: have to not
2: push it because you can overdo it and just make the patient symptomatic. It's not good.
0: Yeah. And I love that you guys are doing that together too, because I think sometimes, you know, I have the call map on my phone for meditation and it is super helpful, especially in your, if you're in, you can feel those symptoms creeping up or you start to feel that anxiety creeping in because symptoms are creeping up. Um, and I love the idea of sitting together with your therapist and and realizing, okay, this is not a day that we can push. And we need to do this together. And it creates a room of relaxation, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you also have someone, you know, coaching you through meditation is still coaching. It's like you need some a personal trainer to help you with pushing yourself and workouts. So you need a personal trainer sometimes to help you with some of these you know therapy exercises or even just to do meditation successfully you know we're not always good at doing it on our own so having someone to remind you hey this will be helpful for you is is great i wish more therapists would do that (laughs) And there's
2: one topic i want to hit on because we are we're we're, gabbing up and start it's already an hour which i know we can go for another (laughs) full hour (laughs) but You know, you have had an amazing year as far as putting out a cookbook, really coming to terms in your, in your healing journey, but now pregnant with a baby (laughs) on the way. Um, And this is something that we kind of talked about a little bit off camera before we got started was a little bit of hesitation about what the future is going to hold, because a lot of migraines are triggered with changes in hormones. So a lot of patients can experience the onset of vestibular migraine after birth and, I know that's kind of on the back of your mind a little bit.
0: Definitely. I mean, we were talking about this before, but it's just one of my biggest fears that, you know, I hear I have made all this progress and I'm going to go back to zero. And it's a, it's a legitimate fear. I mean, vestibular migraine and migraine in general is a chronic illness. So it's something that go, can go into remission, but it's not something that ever really goes away. So you're always having to manage it. And, Uh, it's, it's definitely a a scary thing for me. So what I'm kind of doing to and telling myself is look, okay, I've already been through this. I I have a good doctor now, a good support system. I know the research that I didn't have when I was first diagnosed. I know it works for me. Um, I'm open to new treatments. And I have a, a plan this time, whereas before I didn't have anyone. So if I need to fall back on things that were helping me before that I've kind of been able to relax on, then I can. And so just kind of reminding myself of that helps keep my anxiety in check a little bit more um, and help me to realize, okay, you know, any bumps in the road, like I, I can, I can deal with. I have a good team. I know more than I, do, did, than I did then. And so I'll just take things one day at a time. But I'm already planning for, you know, not having the same sleep that I had before and what that mm-hmm. means. If it means, you know, maybe we have to look at allocating money into something like a night nurse or getting help. Um, maybe it means that breastfeeding gets cut short. Um, I'm just trying to keep my mind open to what will make me the best for my child. And if that means that I can, you know, get back on, I need to get back on medications and do stuff like that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to keep an open mind. So I think. That's hopefully will help.
2: <laughs> and it sounds like you've been doing well through the pregnancy and the IVF process. That yeah. so far so good, and you've been kind of cautiously optimistic about you know what's to come. But another thing I'd like to point out, at least maybe to ease some of your um, you know anxiety about any of this, is that you have created a healthy base. You know, a lot of yeah. women have their symptoms come on after birth because they're not eating as well as they used to because now they're a new mom and they're exhausted and their hormones are fluctuating. You know, this is a first time for them for this to come on, which is extremely more anxiety producing. You know, you've set yourself up with a a solid foundation and there's a good possibility that you might come through this with flying colors because you have been so meticulous on keeping track of everything, planning for the worst and hoping for the best. So I'm excited to see your your entire journey through. I remember when you um, started posting about going through IVF and um, how this was going and I just remember being so excited to watch and listen and see everything progress so well it's so exciting to see you at this point I can't wait to see what more you have going for you in the future it's it's very very hopeful and promising I think for everybody hoping for the same thing as you.
0: Thank you I really appreciate that and that I you know, I'm focusing on meal prepping, lots of freezer meals now. <laughs> so I, <don't. laughs> I have Migrant. a grain friendly freezer meal. So exactly. that might be a topic of dizzy cook for a while.
1: <laughs> say, I have a feeling you'll be revisiting this podcast in a year with even more knowledge on vestibular migraine, <laughs> tips and tricks for. Dealing with vestibular migraine through pregnancy, yeah. through motherhood, altered sleep schedules, loud crying, <laughs> baby, <laughs> meal prep. I mean, I, I feel like you're going to learn so much and be able to help your audience even more, honestly.
0: And that's a, that's a really good point. And I, I appreciate you guys saying that because if I can focus on the positives, it really helps keep my mind right and kind of stray away of, you know, all the all the other things that can happen. <laughs> uh, and keep up the so. good
2: work on what you're doing. You know, I don't think a lot of people realize just how hard you have to work to maintain what yeah. you've built, especially <laughs> because a lot of vestibular patients and, you know, Abby and I know this as clinicians because we have to talk to vestibular patients on a daily basis. But they, you know, us being listeners is one thing because we're not going through it, right? We can manage our expectations and our own emotions and symptoms and stress and anxieties, listening to these horror stories and horrific symptoms over and over. But being an advocate and being a patient who has gone through this to have the constant outreach from other patients reaching out and saying how horrible their lives are, or how horrible their symptoms are. What do you like? Can you help me? What do I do? What do I you know need to do? You know that can be very taxing. And I, and while <laughs> yeah. maintaining um, writing a cookbook and you know still being a wife and you know um, cooking and providing for your family and maintaining this website and answering emails like that is a lot which could be very, you know, <laughs> symptom producing as it is. Yeah. So the fact that you are doing all of that is just huge and managing your symptoms and working so hard. You know, we are so, so, so grateful for what you put out there for people and help them and still manage to keep yourself happy and healthy. That's a real Thank testament you. to what you promote as far as resources and lifestyle are concerned. So
0: it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boundaries are everything. I think when you're a vestibular patient too, and I have to be careful of it sometimes is it really had to reevaluate like in the last year or two, like how often I answer messages or when I need to shut down the social media or anything like that, because it it can get very draining. I think that's that way for a lot of people. And so setting those boundaries for yourself and taking breaks and that sort of thing, you, if anything else, this illness has taught me how to put myself first. Mm -hmm. And when I need to say no to things, and it's been a long journey, because I don't like to say no to people very often. (laughs) (laughs) It really does make you it will make you a better patient, it will make you better to yourself, it'll make you a better mom, wife, um, friend, you know, family member, it, 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 you know, when you feel better, and you're putting yourself first, you can be better for other people. So that's really just the most important thing. And I appreciate you guys noticing that because I think sometimes people forget, you know, all the that this is all free. <laughs>
1: true, very true. And so you know. Someone's oh. paying for it. <laughs> on that note, though, remind mm-hmm. us where we can find you. Your yes. cookbook.
0: So my cookbook is not free, but,
1: <laughs> but um, you can get it on
0: Amazon actually, or um, if you want to, people want to support me directly, which supports thedizzycook.com. Um, they can order from the Dizzy Cook Shop. And I actually anything on there. I just started offering cooking classes for the holidays, um, too, which is kind of fun. And I, I, you know, they are online, so I know that can be a little triggering for some people. But I try to keep in mind um, things like how to, how to cook when you have a vestibular disorder, and little tips and tricks and stuff like that. How to plan for Thanksgiving with a migraine diet. So I'm kind of doing that um, a little bit too, but this is my book. It's, <laughs> it's available on um, Amazon, the Dizzy cook shop, and actually most bookstores, I think Barnes and Noble has it as well. So um, it's pretty easy to find online. Awesome. Well,
1: yeah. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys. <laughs> have the Same sort of talks in the future again, because mm-hmm. I have a feeling that our yeah. audience, Really going to appreciate the tips and tricks you provided today. So thank you again.
0: Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here (laughs) and to work with you guys again after the Vita conference. (laughs) Well,
2: thank you so much. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. (laughs) Bye-bye. If you're interested in finding us on social media or the web, you can visit www.vestibular.today for more resources, including testing, treatment, and educational videos, blogs, continuing education classes, and resources including clinic equipment recommendations, suggested tests, and BPPV treatment charts.
1: Search Vestibular Today and Balancing Act Rehab on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, be sure to check out Balancing Act Rehab at www.balancingactrehab.com, especially if you think you would benefit from vestibular therapy. We are your girls. The information on this podcast is not intended to replace the care provided by your qualified health professional or to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on Talk Dizzy to Me. Please contact us at Balancing Act Rehab if you think you could benefit from vestibular therapy.